Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, April 8th installment of the Silicon Insider, the only uncensored look at life and business in the Valley. My name is Mike Malone, and I'm here with special contributor Scott Budman, technology reporter for NBC Bay Area. Our producer is Jordan Henderson. Our East Coast correspondent is Bob Grove. And our host, as always, is the Silicon Valley Business Journal. Okay, Scott, well, we had other things lined up for the first topic today, but you know the news just took over. By the way, we're recording this on Thursday morning because Scott has to go back into trial, the Sonny Balwani trial tomorrow morning. So anyway, Elon Musk, you know, we were going to talk about how he bought a fraction of the company, which we did last Friday. And then he uh, was talking, he was going to go on the board and then he backed off because he decided that he might want to buy more shares. And there was speculation that he might go all the way in. And he just did. Well, he made an offer, yes. And once again, Musk sucks the oxygen out of the rest of the tech world. And we have yet another company with serious boardroom drama. Elon Musk, uh, as of Thursday morning, saying he would buy all of Twitter, take the company private. Uh, there would be a premium to the stock. Uh, so $4.20 a share. Right. So not, not a huge premium. And, you know, in, in my guesstimation, probably not enough uh, yeah. of, of what could have been a first offer. With Musk, you never know. He's already said, this is my first and final offer, um, which puts even his stake and the price hike that that brought in danger. But that's how Musk operates. Um, everything is sort of on a tightrope. And the latest we hear is that Thursday afternoon, uh, the Twitter board will meet to discuss Musk's offer and either you know accept it, which would be a bit of a surprise, honestly, or reject it. Um, and there may be more back and forth, but again, things are, are wide open right now. Twitter is in play. Uh, you wonder if other sharks are possibly circling that boat right now. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see Twitter's reaction to the idea that as a company, it's now in play. Well, except for other oligarchs, who would want Twitter? I mean, Twitter is not a real money-making enterprise. It's got some value, but, you know, it's always been up and down. It's not really that profitable. It's always in, in some kind of trouble, you know, in, on the national scene. Uh, I, you know, I'm, and who else has that kind of money to burn as an individual? Right. It, it, it's rare that we see individual hostile takeovers, right? I mean, they're usually right. another company, you know, or a, a hedge fund or a VC yeah. fund, that sort of thing. Um, this is one person. He is the richest person, so he's got the money to do it. Um, and you're right about Twitter. I mean, one of the attractions I imagine to shareholders is that as a stock, Twitter hasn't performed all that well since going public um, because it hasn't unlocked whatever advertising value that a Google or a YouTube or a Facebook or you know even a Snapchat has unlocked. Um, and that's been a constant knock against the company. People look at it and say, hey, you are the most legitimate of social networks as far as getting information out, getting news out. When big events happen, people turn to Twitter but uh, day to day, um, advertisers don't seem to. And so we don't know if Musk is going to tell the board, hey, I can tap into that advertising value um, right. by perhaps making changes to how Twitter operates. Uh, but, but you just wonder if this is a move made to entice shareholders while possibly scaring employees and devotees of Twitter. Yeah, well, the shareholders are in play. I mean, they could decide, why don't we cash out? This company is 
getting even more controversial. We can see if, the, if there's a Republican shift in November, which looks like there's going to be, there's going to be all hell is going to break loose on, on Twitter, you know, along with Facebook. They're not happy at prospect of Elon Musk. This employees, they may say, time for us to go, you know, take our money and go. Shareholders may say this could be a time to get the cash out you know, because we're getting all this attention right now. And in many ways, if there's anybody suited for Twitter, if they're going to try to own it privately, it's probably Elon. You know, well, he's going to make it more interesting. Right. You say that because he's going to make it more interesting. He's got the money. He's got the Twitter presence. He is one of Twitter's uh, most notable presences, um, for better or for worse. He's tweeted about uh, Tesla stock. He uh, is the CEO of Tesla. Um, very controversially to the point where the SEC fined both him and Tesla. Um, and, you know, he uses Twitter as kind of a battering ram. Uh, so it's not surprising that he's taking that battering ram and now pointing it at the source itself. And that's one of the things that makes this all so meta and so interesting is that it's not just Musk using Twitter to get at another company or a journalist or another target. Um, he's starting to use Twitter to get Twitter. Yeah which is, you know, it's such a 21st century move. You know, I, and I, I've enjoyed the reaction too. Uh, the Washington Post actually ran an editorial this week. Did you see that? Where somebody suggested we should never let oligarchs own media, important media companies. And it was like, hello? <laughs> yeah, in the Washington Post. <laughs> Who owns the Washington the Post, you know? <laughs> right, that horse has left the barn. Um, and that's in some ways, how places like the Post are able to continue right now. Uh, you know, the Bezos- Without, without Bezos, on, there'd be no Post. Yeah. It, it would be a lot different, right? And you could say that about, you know, Mark Benioff going for a magazine, keeping that alive. And now there would be a Twitter without Elon Musk. But uh, you saw the initial shareholder response was, whoa, this is really good for Twitter stock. It's interesting that as of Thursday morning, the price hasn't gone up to where Musk has offered I think because shareholders and Wall Street in general look at Musk with, um, you know, they look at him with some awe and respect, and he's earned that, but also with a lot of skepticism, and he's certainly earned that too. Well, he said it's his final offer. Do you buy that? <sighs> I, I, I mean, come on. If Anybody else, and, I'd say no. Back, this... If Twitter came back and said $60 billion, do you really think that he would, you know, just drop the whole thing over that small amount? Right. Uh, no first offer is, is a last offer in this world, but Musk is Musk. He has the money and the wherewithal to move on to something else tomorrow if that's how it goes. But I, I don't think there's just one offer. That would be a, a very big surprise, given that it's a premium and a decent premium. But, you know, Twitter has been higher. And I think investors are going to say this is not enough to completely remove the company and the stock from Wall Street. Can, can, can the board of Twitter, if they don't want Elon, create enough barriers? To I mean, it? there are ways, and, and I don't know if you want to go into this, but sort of the poison pill of offering. Yeah, absolutely. And the poison pill has been used in the history of Silicon Valley. I, mean, I think National Semiconductor said, we will destroy ourselves before you buy us during the right. Charlie, Charlie Spork era. Right. Yeah. And, and you wonder if there are voices inside Twitter saying that. I'd love to be a fly on the wall of that uh, meeting today. I'd like to be in the lunchroom. I mean, there's got to be <laughs> chaos all over that company. They've yeah, created we reporters. And, and they have power and their censorship ability has given them power too. 
And it's all going to be stripped away, it seems, if Elon, the First Amendment absolutist, shows up. Yeah, I mean, we reporters are hoping someone will live tweet it, but, but who knows? We'll, uh, I'll let you know what I learned. <laughs> we'll follow your tweets. <laughs> okay, uh, electric vehicles. We talked about last time I was already taking out the power grid in my corner of Sunnyvale. A lot of them are on the way, uh, which is interesting. You know how when you hear about a car or you buy a new car and all of a sudden you see the same car everywhere? I have seen Ford 150 Lightnings, something that was as rare as, you know, a white elephant. I, I saw three Lightnings yesterday, you know, new ones, old ones. You know, it's suddenly like all the F-150 Lightnings, the, you know, the high performance uh, version of their 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 famous trick pickup truck have come out of the garages to show off and display themselves in time for the big F-150 EV launch, which is April 26th. Right. What else and, is going on? Well, I, I think that's a huge day. And I, I wonder if Ford, you know, the EV companies and, and Tesla's famously had problems meeting deadlines, although there are now a whole lot of Teslas on the road. Rivian, the electric truck maker, is trickling trucks out. You're starting to see those uh, you know, we're starting to see some of the Volvos and, and the Volkswagens, and that's nice. But so far, the EV uh, movement has been slow, largely because it's hard to get your hands on cars. Ford yeah. is famous for cranking out vehicles, mostly the F-150, uh, you know, most, most popular. Best-selling passenger vehicle, personal passenger vehicle in America. Exactly. And from what I hear, Ford is saying that that first line uh, is already spoken for the entire first line. Wow. So if they can get them out the door, um, it would be great to see a lot of those. Because again, this is a movement, uh, I think, built not on advertising, but more word of mouth. People say, ah, you can still fit your family into one of those Model 3s or whatever, and you don't have to put in gas? Sure, I'll do that. You know, you can you can use a, a, the ID4, I think is a Volkswagen one, super solid SUV, and oh, doesn't need gas. And, and trucks have, I think, a, you know, a slightly higher bar to top because people like to use trucks for really aggressive things. But if Rivian and Ford can come out and show that their trucks are real trucks and better for the environment, that's going to be a big move, I think, in the EV movement. Well, even more, the lightning. I mean, that's not even that's not a throw a throw plywood in the back of, the, of your pickup truck. The lightning is basically do wheel stands on Stevens Creek. I mean, that thing is the the piston powered ones what five six hundred horsepower you know and you can imagine what they're going to be able to do with an electric version yeah and and that's what some of the tests have shown that hey this thing you know you don't need to really accelerate it's like flipping a switch and i've been inside the the lightning and it also feels really good i think they're trying to get that side of the truck market the the truck market that also likes you know maybe a big screen in the car and comfortable seats and and some gadgetry um, and I hope they don't overdo it because some of these EVs, I think, have uh, some technology for technology's sake that's a little bit distracting. But right. um, really, if you can prove to the truck user that this is a solid experience and a solid vehicle, why wouldn't they go electric? Well, and, you know, I was just I read some wild numbers yesterday in a, in a motor vehicle publication. Mercedes has managed to reach some sort of record on distance with a battery powered car. Was it, it was several thousand miles or something. It was crazy. I saw that. It was a lot more than what, what any uh, anybody gets yet. And that's great news uh, because yeah. I saw it and I thought- Especially for truckers. Especially for truckers. 
Yes, and, and that is going to be a barrier, you know, not just range, but also the ability to charge. Um, yeah. You know, so far those charging stations, you see them, especially in an area like the Bay Area where we're sick with charging stations, which is great, but it's right. hard if you're in say an apartment, you know, or a condo complex, how are you gonna charge? We need to make sure that these things are in these complexes so that people can charge um, when they need to. And, uh, you know, they don't have to make sort of an appointment to go stay in line somewhere. And, and that's going to be a gradual rollout. But we do have companies uh, here in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, not to mention cities all across the country that are starting to put those rules onto the books. Hey, we have to build out a charging network. And um, that's good news. But we still have a, a, quite a bit to go to make sure that everybody can charge when they need to. Well, you have to get them out there in the interstate, too. I mean, right. in, West, in Western Nebraska, you know, where there's nothing, you know, that's going to be a challenge as well. Probably a governmental challenge. You know, I think it's so. hard to see private industry, just like the interstate highway system. You, you didn't see asphalt companies building that. You saw, you saw the Eisenhower administration. So, okay. Up to now, we, Serrano's trial has been sort of the, the lead story of most of our most of our conversations for the last eight months. Finally, it's third. Okay, so it's moving down the chart. Uh, tell me about the Sonny Balwani trial. How's it going? You, you know, it's, go it's tomorrow going, morning. Right. It's it's really um, it's not getting the attention that uh, Elizabeth Holmes got, and yet it's the same trial with many of the same witnesses. I think it's just a lower profile because Sonny Balwani has a lower profile than Elizabeth Holmes, and we've talked about this before. Um, you know, they're, they're going after the same charges. They're, they're trying to get uh, perhaps a similar verdict. They, they were able to convict Holmes on four counts. Um, and it's a very similar so far playbook that the prosecution is using. Um, but uh, it's, it's just not as, as much a cause it's celeb. It's not uh, sexy. It's just not right. sexy. Right. Um, you, in your note to me, you mentioned the dropout. Yeah, that's yet another thing that uh, these, and you know, at the top of the show, we mentioned all the boardroom drama going on in Silicon Valley. You know, you could spend a pretty decent chunk of your paycheck signing up for streaming services that are showing boardroom dramas in Silicon Valley. You know, the dropout is on Hulu. Uh, we've got the Uber one on Showtime. Uh, and what's the, uh, we crashed, uh, we worked. That's also very well done. That's over on Hulu. Um, really taking center stage right now on these streaming services, these really well done, high dollar. I mean, we've got some really famous actors involved uh, and writers and, and directors uh, to talk about Silicon Valley drama. And so it's yet one more thing, in addition to social media and books and documentaries, that this jury has to ignore. And, and if all their friends are talking about it, they have to say, can't talk about that. No, no, the lead time on these productions is like a year or more. So is this a reaction to the success of Silicon Valley, the series, or is, did, they, did they see this stuff coming? Because they seem really prescient right now to have had these things hit the air just at the moment all this stuff is going on. Yeah, and, and actually, I want to give a shout out to some journalists. I mean, you know, John Carreyrou of the Wall Street Journal wrote Bad Blood even before the Holmes trial. And that was sort of, you could tell, the playbook for, you know, The Dropout, which was a podcast, and then now the series. Mike Isaac of the New York Times uh, wrote a really good book called Super Pumped About Uber. That's literally what the show is called right now on, on uh, Showtime. So these are people who put themselves into the trenches covering the, you know, Elizabeth Holmes and Travis Kalanick's and 
wrote books and then they were made into uh, you know, screenplays. And as so many of us are still streaming things at home, uh, this is catnip for the Showtimes and Hulus of the world. Uh, and I don't obviously know the ratings of these things, but a lot of people are talking about them. So I would guess money is being made and therefore we're going to see more. And that's what I was sort of thinking driving into work today about the Hulu Musk thing. Um, you know, Musk has got to be ripe for one of these things and maybe Hulu's in there too, but I'll bet the Tesla story is coming. And there've already been a couple of books written sure. about Tesla. Uh, we should do a shout out to one of our listeners, Tom Hayes, Valley veteran from Applied Materials, an old friend of ours. He's down at Paramount Studios in Hollywood. Maybe he could drop us a note and tell us what's going on down there about green lighting all these productions. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear from him, hear what he has to say. There uh, are probably going to be more, yeah. Let us okay, know, Okay, inflation, inflation. This should have been the big news of the week, but Elon obviously sucked all the air out of the room. Unbelievable. Uh, wholesale inflation hits an all-time record high of 11.2%. Cost of vegetables soared 82%. Grains jumped 40%, and which means that consumer prices are going to get jacked up even further. And if you go to a supermarket, you know, especially the box stores, there's entire shelves that have been emptied of goods. Uh, we haven't seen anything like this in a long time. And now we're heading into brand new territory, you know, even worse than, you know, the Carter malaise and all of that, the stagflation. Right. I mean, you have sort of a double whammy of inflation, rising prices, and still some supply chain issues for various reasons, keeping some of the items off shelves. So you also have some scarcity. And that's a hard one to punch that rises, or that, excuse me, that raises prices even more. I mean, Look at right. trying to get a, a car right now or even a used car. Those prices are up some 30, 40%. Um, and food, you know, you and I see it at the supermarket, but the restaurants also see it. So going out is more expensive. Uh, so it, it all really, you know, yeah, domino I ordered, effects. I ordered a pizza last night. I was astounded how expensive that was. You know, and that's, you know, one of the basic, you know, consumer goods in a modern American life. So well, think about it. It's, it's, I mean, they, gas prices seem to have stabilized a little bit, but the administration seems to be suggesting that it's, they're not going to be able to make it better before the end of the year. That inflation, unless they, you know, unless they do a Reagan and just pull a pull the string and collapse the economy, you know, uh, it's going to get worse for the next six months. Well, we, you know, we're in an election year and it seems like we always are. And, uh, you know, we got the midterms coming up and not to get too political, but inflation is bad for um, your political chances, but uh, collapsing the government may, may even be worse. So I don't know if we're going to see a huge rise in interest rates. I think the Federal Reserve uh, getting involved and saying, hey, we're going to gradually raise rates to get us out of this is the mature way to do it. But, um, you know, there's real time. And, and being patient time. And then there's political time, which is we have to right. show some results now. And that's why you're seeing, you know, gas rebates and, you know, opening up the, the pumps and all this stuff. Um, uh, and and th those are sort of quick hit fixes. But I think the, the gradual interest rate rise uh, that the Fed is planning is probably what's going to eventually get us out of this. And has, Milton Friedman always said inflation is a monetary, it's a, it's a fiscal problem. It's not about goods and services. It's about the flow of money. Right. But there are goods and services that are, you know, in scarce demand, partially because of supply chain issues. Also, because, I mean, you mentioned grains, you know, a lot of that comes from Ukraine and, and you know, we know what's going on there. So 
uh, this is going to take a while because you got a whole lot of things happening at the same time, and and none of them are helping. They're all hurting. Right. Okay. Uh, a bit of good news on that front. Silicon Valley uh, office vacancy rates have improved uh, for the first time since COVID hit. So the first time in th three years, all of a sudden offices are beginning to fill up again in San Jose. Are you seeing that down there? Yeah, um, and it's seen mainly because traffic is coming back to Silicon yes, Valley. I've noticed that. Yeah, and it's almost like, you know, we all know which exits people take if they're Apple employees or if they work at Google. And you can really see on the dates, you know, when Apple said April 11th or, you know, Google said whatever, you could see that traffic is starting to back up already at those very specific exits. And so we're starting to see, it's like, you know, the opposite of nature healing, it's whatever corporate healing, but you're right. starting to see more cars and you're starting to see more people. And um, it seems that the companies are trying to do this gradually, but they're really trying to do it you're starting to see less of a, hey, do whatever you want kind of attitude and more of a, we wanna see you in person attitude. And, and it'll be interesting to see how that works at some of these companies where it worked without being in the office and people knew that. I got stuck getting on an on-ramp in South San Jose and I, got, I was furious and I went, oh, wait a minute, this is the way it's supposed to be. I remember this. <laughs> gotten so jaded about just whipping down the freeway at 3 30 the afternoon at well i won't admit that i was going 80 miles an hour but the potential to go 80 miles an hour was like wow you know i and i think i think when the traffic jams return the frustration is going to be even greater because we had this three-year hiatus from you know crazy silicon valley traffic we're going to see a lot of road rage coming up i think well, we'll see. I mean, people are gradually coming back and I'm curious what that means. That's good news for a lot of the coffee shops and restaurants in the area that are really dependent on, uh, on tech. So as biz, big business comes back, small business is, is breathing a sigh of relief, I think. Oh, I hope so. You know, and it, good for them. Okay. Uh, Google has announced that um, it's doing $9.5 billion in expansion and California is going to be a major part of that. And well, what that suggests, you know, Mountain View and San Jose is likely places for even more expansion. So that's, that says good things about the economy of Silicon Valley, at least in the, in the years ahead. Right. Google, among other companies, is not saying, hey, the work from home works so much, we're just going to stop building. Um, they're still building, they're still developing, they're still planning to grow. And you're right, it's good for the economy. Um, I, I know one of the concerns that's really paramount here, down here in the South Bay and Silicon Valley is housing. And uh, that always comes up at these meetings and when these announcements are made, um, hey, what about places for these people to live? And so that's something that there's the constant uh, back and forth on. Well, I'm seeing an awful lot of buildings. So let's, you know, it's very possible that we're, we can't absorb it all, obviously. You know, the valley is going to start spreading out over the hills and companies are going to leave, but it is looking a little better around here. And right. I notice an awful lot of literally every house in my neighborhood is being worked on right now, which suggests that people are not planning to move. They're plant, they're just, they're infilling, they're improving their current situation, they're sticking around. So if that's, if that's a, a leading indicator of the future of the valley, it's a good sign. Okay. Does your wife or you ever use Etsy? 
Um, so actually, uh, I have a daughter who's quite uh, active on Etsy because she loves the, the arts and crafts aspect of it. And I know a lot of people who use it. Uh, Grove, Grove sent me this. There, did you know there was a protest at Etsy? Yes. 17, they, they're, they're sort of creating a union, the users, uh, the operators, and um, they, 17,000 people had a strike. They shut down for a day because Etsy raised its rate of, what is it, 4% to 5.5% or something like, yeah, 5% to 6.5% effective Monday, last Monday. So, uh, you know, we've seen this before. I don't know if you remember this, but eBay changed its rules at one time. And, you know, every time you have a one of these million people, you know, army of David's businesses, um, if you change the rules slightly, all hell breaks loose. And uh, Etsy says they're going to use it for marketing and that sort of thing. But I suspect it's also inflation as well. But Etsy users are not happy. You right. know? Well, you know, you call them an army of David's and, and that's true. But on the other hand, like eBay, Etsy is a publicly traded company. So they answer to shareholders. And the idea of sort of a, hey, we've got a great art culture here, let's build things and sell them and have a really nice commune sort of feeling clashes against, hey, we also have to please Wall Street. And Etsy is going through that right now. You add in the sort of you know union fever that's sort of gripping a lot of these tech companies. And I think you're going to have uh, some boardroom battles. Again, I don't know if Hulu is you know right now eyeing Etsy for its next show. But this is a really interesting thing. You also see it on the App Store for Apple and, and Android and things like that. How much to pay them versus how much to please Wall Street. Hello, Spotify, for example, yeah. with artists. Um, and Etsy is going through that. And Etsy really has this cool, hip culture. But again, it also answers to Wall Street. And that's a clash right there. I was thinking about this. If they ever actually have a physical strike, they will have the best looking signs. Yes, that's true. <laughs> you know, with glitter and beautifully rendered on, on burnt wood, you know, it'll, it'll be spectacular. All right, finally, uh, I haven't seen a headlight, headlight like this in a while. A Silicon Valley chip company is going public. Um, the company is uh, Ampere Computing LLC and has announced Monday that it has filed confidentially for an initial public offering. When was the last time you saw a chip company in Silicon, first of all, a new chip company, and then a new chip company in Silicon Valley, and then a new chip company in Silicon Valley going public? And it's run by uh, Renee James, who used to be the president of Intel. So she's got, the chops. she's got the chops, obviously, in the record. But it's kind of cool to see that again. Yeah, well, so we haven't seen a lot of uh, chip companies IPO, and I think it's because we haven't seen a lot of new chip companies. But Look at the Wall Street performance lately of advanced micro devices, NVIDIA, yeah, yeah. even the chip makers, you know, applied materials. You mentioned that earlier. These are companies that have really seen a renaissance on Wall Street uh, because so she's making they, her they, move at the right time. Absolutely. I mean, there's a shortage. They're needed. You know, the, the prices are in there. It's uh, it's probably a, a good time to do that. And it hasn't been for a while because there was always this sort of, oh, chips, they're just commodities. They're not sexy anymore. Uh, but, you know, tell that to an NVIDIA shareholder. I mean, right now, that's really where a lot of the focus is because everybody needs so many chips. Yeah, but can I, 
I think it's great they're doing this and that great there's this company, but we have a fab problem. So if you're a if you're a new chip company, you are you are sending that out to get built your chips out to get your designs get built somewhere else. Right. Where is she going to get all her stuff built? I mean, you can't you can't raise enough money in an IPO to build a fab because they're ten billion dollars a piece. I imagine so, you outsource that. Yeah, but yeah, but where? Taiwan, Taiwan, Malaysia, uh, some some fabs that Intel wants to build here eventually. Obviously, she's got a relationship with Intel, maybe partner right. with them. Um, but I, I wonder if the fab building is yeah true. Yeah. True, but but fab building, unless you're Intel, unless you're that gigantic, maybe a thing of the past. Partnering with already built fab facilities may be the way to go. Well, we'll see. Good luck to her. I hope it works. I'd love to see another chip company here. You know how I feel about chips. So they're yes. the heart. Of, they're the center <laughs> of everything. Okay, that's it for now, folks. You can find us on the Silicon Valley Business Journal homepage as well as on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, I'm reading this, YouTube and LinkedIn. And of course, we're in video now. Uh, have a great weekend and get your taxes in. See you next week. Bye-bye.